Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome to another edition of MLB Morning Coffee from the Ocean Avenue Studios in San Francisco, California. Thank you for joining us once again. My name is Greg Mraz, your host as per usual. A couple of housekeeping items. Make sure you write a review, leave a rating, and subscribe. By the way, based on a little of what we're going to talk about today, I encourage you to go back and listen to our episode with Mariners outfielder Brayden Bishop because there are some things that he said on that episode that I think are pretty relevant to what we're going to talk about today in terms of baseball, the COVID restart, and what it means within the whole microcosm of the sports world. And joining me to do that is one of the most well-rounded sports personalities you can imagine. She is a part of the Browns Radio Network. She's a producer for 92.3 The Fan in Cleveland, Ohio, and is also one of the hosts of That's What B Said, a Cleveland sports podcast, which is all female hosts. They are phenomenal at what they do. I highly recommend you check out their podcast. It is extremely entertaining, especially if you are a Cleveland sports fan. Please welcome to the show, Miss Meredith Kane. MK, what's good, buddy? Oh, not too much, Greg. How are you doing? Other than impending doom, I think I'm doing okay. Yeah, yeah. We all might die within the next uh, few weeks, but uh, I guess we should enjoy the ride before we do. Yeah, I wanted to have you on today because knowing how many different sports that you cover for all of the outlets that you do cover, and I left out that you also do some work with Fox Sports Ohio, but I wanted to have you on because I wanted to compare baseball to every other sport that is trying to restart. The last episode that I did, I said that it was kind of criminal that baseball is trying to restart in the way that they are because there are so many variables that come into play when you're talking about traveling to at least for the Cleveland Indians where you work nine different cities. So I have to ask you from what you've heard around town and what you've been seeing come across on the Indians beat are people in Cleveland excited about the restart or are they very cautiously uh, skeptical of what an MLB 2020 season is going to be? Well, there that's a loaded question when it comes to the Indians, because first off, a lot of people are just entirely pissed off at the whole process of restarting between the owners and the players and the arguing over money, the arguing over games, just it was not a good look. And people were already a little bit jaded in Cleveland to begin with because nobody likes the owners. They want them to sell the team. They're upset that Chris Antonetti a few months ago said, you know, when asked about Francisco Lindor, he says, enjoy him. So Frankie's on his last year. And now we're looking at this league and saying, okay, well, this last season may not happen. We may never see Francisco Lindor in an Indians uniform ever again. So there was already uh, a little bit of bitterness towards the team to begin with. So a lot of people are exhausted. I think a lot of people have maybe given up a little bit on baseball, although they say that now, but once it starts like a game or two, and they're just going to be so happy (laughs) to have sports. Um, But, but overall, I don't know that there's a huge amount of excitement. And I think it was a combination of, you know, Dolan Antonetti fatigue on top of public negotiation fatigue. Yeah, and I think that one of the things that is important to keep in mind when you're talking about baseball fans' excitement for going into this season is that baseball had the opportunity 
to capitalize on being the only thing going. And you and I have talked about this in conversations off the air that baseball has a marketing problem and baseball could have put itself to the forefront of the sports world if they had gotten their act together, but they didn't. And now baseball is going to have to compete at the same time with football in the preseason, at least the last month of the year, and then immediately basketball and soccer. But there's a key aspect, and I forgot hockey as well, and I'm going to get to that in a minute. There's a key aspect of health and safety that baseball has in their plan that is different from the other sports. The NBA, the MLS, and the NHL are all going into bubbles. Major League Baseball is going to play in their home ballparks and be traveling from city to city. We've already seen with the positive tests from FC Dallas inside the MLS bubble that a bubble is not truly a bubble. When you look at all the variables that go into putting on a Major League Baseball season in the age of COVID-19, do you think it's reckless that they're trying to do this at a time when you're seeing cases spike in areas like Florida, Texas, Southern California, and Arizona, where you've got eight of the 30 MLB teams? Well, I think, honestly, it feels a little irresponsible to be trying to start sports up at all. And I say this as someone who who, <laughs> who a large chunk of my income comes from broadcasts and games like, you know, we have not been doing well. You know, you and I both know this. We have not been doing well financially with our regular jobs being furloughed and cut uh, because there's no sports happening. But it does feel a little irresponsible. You know, you brought up FC Dallas. They've got nine players and a coach. Their game that was scheduled against uh, Vancouver this week is now postponed. I'm actually kind of surprised that MLS hasn't canceled it completely. And even Mike Trout was speaking earlier this week. He hasn't said that he's not going to play, but he does. He has said, I don't know if this is a good idea. Um, on the Indians, as of right now, we've had one player test positive uh, for Corona. That's Delino DeShields Jr. So he has not come back to Cleveland. He actually tested positive in Arizona. A lot of the Indians players just stayed in, in Arizona. They were out there for spring training and when sports canceled a lot of them stayed out there and just continued to play and practice together as much as they could because they didn't know when they were going to come back so Delino DeShields was out there I believe Shane Bieber was out there I think Oscar Mercado was out there um, I think Clevenger was out there also I and these were all guys that Delino was working out with so as of right now Shane Bieber is back in Cleveland he was at Progressive yesterday he tested negative in Arizona and I'm assuming he tested negative when he got back here too but who knows if he caught it from, from Delino and if Shane Bieber catches it, then it's going to get spread to Clevenger. It could get spread to Carlos Carrasco, which is a huge issue because he is just recovering from leukemia. So just a lot of it feels uncertain and unsafe. And I think if the country continued to trend downward, I would feel differently. But the fact that, like you said, the big States, California, Arizona, Texas, uh, Florida, these states that have a lot of teams and uh, these states where people are planning to play have been spiking out of control. I'm all of a sudden saying, shut it all down again, because the last thing I want to see is, and I've heard this brought up a few times with some of my colleagues, is what if an athlete loses their life? Like, what if an athlete dies 
from either COVID or complications of COVID. Like it's going to be a big deal and it is going to be a huge tragedy that could have been avoided. You know, you say that and I was talking about this with a couple of friends earlier this week and I basically told them and I want to see quite simply if you agree, it is going to take somebody dying for these commissioners in whatever sport it might be, baseball, hockey, soccer, basketball, football is not yet on the horizon, but they're going to have to be dealing with these problems pretty soon. It is going to take somebody dying for them to pump the brakes on this. And the way that baseball set it up, it's like, oh, if somebody tests positive, we can just bring in more players and bring in more players. And by the time you get to this end of the 60-game season, and I worked in minor league baseball for five years, and you know how much I love minor league baseball, you're going to see a bunch of double-A and high-A guys on these major league rosters that more than likely wouldn't be there in an era that didn't have a global health crisis. And it's going to be bad baseball too, not to mention if you've got these double A guys trying to play with major leaguers, it's going to be really bad quality baseball. So for you, does it take somebody dying for them to actually stop this? Or would you positively like to think that maybe just a flurry of tests or an outbreak within one team is going to be able to have them say, okay, let's pump the brakes on this. This is not a great idea. All things aside. I really, really hope that we never get to that point. Um, But it's one of those things where it's looking more and more like that because FC Dallas is a perfect example because for soccer teams, you got your starting nine, you got your nine guys on the field at, at a time. And that's how many players currently have coronavirus on on Dallas FC. And I don't know if it's if all nine players are starters, but as of right now, their active roster only has 18 guys, and that's not enough to to play a full uh, full soccer game. And they haven't been canceled. I would have expected, honestly, I, I almost thought when we had three reports of players and a coach on FC Dallas, plus a player for the Columbus crew all tested positive. Last week, I was sitting there looking at this thinking, okay, that's two teams and possibly more coming. They might need to cancel the MLS bubble at this point because the NBA is going to be going to the same bubble. And if the virus is already there, this is going to be bad. But then I saw today that instead of canceling Dallas's first game against Vancouver, they're just postponing it. And so that got me a little scared because I was thinking, well, with all of these cases in Major League Soccer and you've got almost an entire team that might need to forfeit or be just completely taken out because they don't have enough guys, MLS is postponing. And so I just I don't know what it's going to take for them to cancel things again. They probably don't think they need to. Um, and every day, and I got to a point maybe two or three weeks ago where I was excited about sports coming back. I thought the bubble in, in Orlando was a phenomenal idea. I was thrilled about it. Then all of a sudden Disney world is saying, oh, Hey, we're going to start letting tourists into Disney parks. And I was like, oh God, are you kidding me? Like, are you kidding me, Florida? Like, I thought you were trying to create this safe bubble for professional athletes. So at the very least we can get a little bit of entertainment back in this country, But Florida is spiking badly. Disney World is supposedly opening to the public on July 11th, which is a few days from now. And we've got the virus 
in the bubble. So it just, it feels like everything is getting worse and worse and worse and they're not doing anything about it. Like NBA is still going full speed ahead. MLS is still going most speed ahead minus the, you know, FC Dallas's first game. So now I'm almost afraid that it might get to that point where it might take somebody dying from COVID-19 or from complications of it for them to pump the brakes. And that's just, that's not what you want to see happening. I mean, it's bad enough that we've had this many deaths, but if a player dies from COVID-19 and it's after their sport restarts, I don't know how you can't have immeasurable guilt about that for the rest of your life because you're looking at this situation and saying, okay, well, maybe if we just, if we did things differently or if we canceled or if we postponed, this person would still be alive. We're here with Meredith Kane of 92.3 The Fan in Cleveland, also one of the hosts of the That's What B Said podcast. You bring up Florida. People I've been hearing on radio shows saying, well, the NBA couldn't have known at the time that Florida was going to get this bad. No. I disagree with that, and I'm not sure what the talk has been in Cleveland, but people are saying, well, they didn't know it was going to be this bad at the time, and when they made this decision, it looked good because ESPN and Disney are broadcast rights partners with the NBA, and they had the infrastructure to do this. No, if you saw Governor Ron DeSantis and you saw the way that the people of Florida acted during the first part of the pandemic, you knew it was going to get bad there. My question to you is, and more in a ranting, venting way is how did anybody not have the foresight based on the way that the governance of Florida was occurring to not see the forest through the trees on this? It's the almighty dollar, Greg, because they were sitting there looking at this and it's the same thing with uh, reopening the economy is that this country is so dependent on making money that I'm sure that's all they were looking at. They were probably sitting there thinking, okay, well, if a few guys get it, we'll be okay. And we'll just keep pushing forward and we'll keep, you know, we'll keep playing. We're going to, we're going to get these games in. We're going to get our TV money. We're going to get our commercial money. We're going to get this done. We have to get this done because the NBA specifically stood to lose billions of dollars if they didn't finish the season like that billions with a B that's how much money. And so I think they probably did see it coming, but they were probably in denial or hopeful that it wouldn't happen because there was too much money at stake. And I think that's a huge issue. And I think that is also what's happening with other sports as well is there is, there's a lot of money at stake. And so, you know, come hell or high water, they're going to get their seasons in. By the way, Hell or High Water with Jeff Bridges and Chris Pine, great movie. I don't know if you've ever seen it. I have not, back in 2016. I think it's still on Netflix. I watched it about two months ago. Fantastic movie. So if you're looking for a good uh, quarantine movie, because I feel like we're getting back to that point where it could happen again. I know that cases are not as bad in Ohio as they are in California right now, and mainly in Southern California. But just throwing that out there in case you have a itch to watch a modern Western film. I want to shift to the NHL because I know you're a big hockey fan. And for those of you that have not heard you before, and well, this is also the first time that we've had you on this program, we are going to say that you are from DC. You're a huge Washington Capitals fan. And when I saw the potential list of hub cities for the NHL's plan, which was to split the Eastern and the Western conference into two mini bubbles 
and then converge in one city for the Stanley Cup. I basically looked at the list and I said, there is almost no way in hell that both cities aren't in Canada. And sure enough, last week, and I'm not sure if it's been officially announced, but there have been a lot of reports, and I know that Bob McKenzie was first on this on Twitter, that it's going to be Edmonton and Toronto. My question to you is, MK, were you totally expecting that to happen? And what does it say about how the NHL views the United States' handling of coronavirus as opposed to Canada, which not only flattened the curve, they freaking crushed it. Yeah, I'm not surprised that happened at all. I know Vegas was supposedly a reported hub city, and I feel like the people of Vegas were probably, they were trying to like will it into existence the same way Browns fans will OBJ into existence you know I think think that's what because like I had been seeing reports that it was going to be Vegas and a Canadian city and it didn't even dawn on me at the time that that would require international travel at some point you know and so it didn't really it, it didn't it didn't even cross my mind um I remember Columbus was on the list of potential towns and then they didn't get the bid obviously and then I kept seeing reports of Vegas So I was like, Vegas, man. I was like, that's a really bad choice. And then it came out that it was going to be two Canadian cities. And I was like, yeah, like at this point, if we do get sports in 2020, we might only get hockey. We might only get the NHL because they're the only ones who are looking at this and saying like, oh, because also if you think about it, I, I don't know if a lot of these guys have gone home yet, but the majority of the NHL is from parts of Europe. Um, they're Canadian, they're European. I know Europe has banned travel to and from the United States. So I don't know that they would have been able to do it in the United States in the first place, considering who they have as players. Like if you're say Alex Ovechkin and you want to go visit your parents once the, you know, once the season is done, are you going to be allowed to go back to Russia? Like if you're Nicholas Backstrom, are you going to be allowed to go back? I think he's from Sweden. Like, are you going to be allowed to go back there? Probably not. So I I feel like that was probably another reason why they chose Canada, because I'm sure a lot of the Canadian players didn't want to come down to the United States anyway, but it also makes it easier for the players to go to and from their home countries if they're not in North America. We're here with Meredith Kane of 92.3 The Fan in Cleveland here on MLB Morning Coffee, and I want to shift it back to baseball for a minute. We're kind of jumping all over the place, but you know what? This is my show, so if you can't follow the zigzag listeners, then you know what? You uh, you should probably go listen to something else. But um, I'm looking at all the variables that baseball has in play when you're talking about traveling. And I'm sure that you've read a couple of epidemiology documents, maybe not something completely you know, scientifically in-depth, but enough to understand how viruses spread and how this becomes an exponential spread. And when you're talking about how baseball teams are supposed to function within this, you have to deal with hotels. You have to deal with airplanes. You have to deal with buses. You have to deal with restaurants or food caterers that are going to bring food in. You're going to have to deal with hotel staff that are cleaning your rooms You're going to have to deal with pretty much anybody that comes into contact with anything that a baseball player is supposed to do. If guys get shipped new bats, you're going to have to deal with FedEx or UPS. When you look at what baseball is trying to do, what is the most difficult thing that they're going to have to overcome in order to try and stay clean? Honestly, I just think it's the fact that they want 
all of their teams to be playing in their home cities. So let's say we have uh, the Indians, for example. So Indians are going to play a progressive field. Well, the Royals are also in, in our division. So they're going to have to travel down to Kansas City. Well, what happens, you know, say like something similar with Delino DeShields, he tested positive and, you know, Shane Bieber tests negative. Well, what if Shane Bieber suddenly gets it and he's already in Cleveland and he spreads it to other guys? Like, I think that's going to be the biggest hurdle is if you have a guy on one end. So if you have a guy in Detroit on the Tigers tests negative, they come down to Cleveland and then suddenly they've tested positive. Well, now you've brought the virus from your home park to our, to, to our home park here in Cleveland. So I think to me, like, cause like FedEx isn't, I don't think that's as big of a deal, especially when you get things delivered um, because they're pretty easy to sanitize. You know, you can wipe down the surface. Everyone has access to, you know, Clorox in some way, shape or form. And even, I think they said that um, the virus does not live on surfaces that long. So I know for me, if I don't wipe something down when I bring it into my apartment from like the grocery store or, or, or the drugstore or something like that, I'll let it sit aside and I won't touch it for a day or two. And that seems to be good enough. And that's what a lot of doctors have said are, is okay. Like if you, if you get something delivered, just don't touch it for a day or two and you should be fine or wipe it down with a Clorox wipe. So I don't think that getting balls, bats and those types of things delivered is going to be a big deal. I think it's the human factor that's going to be a big deal. Like when the Indians go to Detroit and and play the Tigers, are they going to be going out in Detroit and picking up something on the streets of Detroit and, and vice versa? And then all of a sudden they're traveling back to Cleveland and they're bringing whatever they picked up in Cleveland or excuse me, whatever they picked up in Detroit back to Cleveland. You know, I think that's going to be the biggest thing. And I know that that's also a concern with the NBA as well, because they're supposed to stay in this bubble. They're supposed to stay in Orlando in this Disney campus, but you really think that guys are, I mean, even when there's no restrictions, rookies and younger guys will sneak out to go to parties, to go to strip clubs, to just go out to eat even. And I have a feeling that might happen with the baseball players as well. I I think that's, you know, you look at Ryan Zimmerman, he's a little bit older. He's opted out. He's just, he's like, I'm not going to play. And it's probably because he's he's up there, he's towards the end of his contract, and he's saying, I don't trust these 20, 21-year-old players to stay in. You know, I don't trust these 21-year-old players to pretty much stay in quarantine while we're traveling, because that's the only way to do it. So I, to me, I think the biggest hurdle and the biggest complication is the human factor. Yeah, and you're talking about the virus spread, not only in your example, the Tigers coming to Cleveland. But then let's say the Tigers then go to Chicago and the Indians then go to a team in the National League Central because they're also playing the NL Central Pittsburgh. And then it just keeps multiplying and multiplying and multiplying from there. And pretty soon, both Central divisions have been infected with COVID-19 and there's nothing that you can do to contain the spread other than shutting down the season. And by the way, you also could be getting a virus contamination from these alternate training sites that are very near to the home ballparks of these teams. I know the Indians are training at Classic Park in Eastlake, which is home of the Lake County Captains. Shout out to you, Andrew Luffglass, the broadcaster of the Captains, my buddy there. But I want to shift for a moment to the NFL, and your best beat is the Browns. You are more invested in football than almost anything that you do in Cleveland. They pay the The bills, man. Yes, they do. (laughs) Yes, they do. 
The NFL has already canceled the Hall of Fame game, which is in Canton, and they've already canceled the first two weeks of the preseason and have built in time for a delayed start to the regular season and a potentially delayed Super Bowl. When you see these cancellations and you see what football is as a sport, the fact that you have 53-man rosters all huddled together on the sidelines, you have 22 players on the field at the same time with, at minimum, 10 guys that are in close contact with one another, the offensive line, the defensive line, and the quarterback under center. Given what football is and the type of contact it is, how confident are you that the NFL, and let's just say for the sake of my paying the bills, college football, even gets started in 2020? I I think that it, the chances are getting slimmer and slimmer every single day. Um, I think at this point, the NFL is just trying to buy time. I think they, you know, they're canceling the things that don't have that big of an impact. You know, preseason games don't have a huge impact. You know, the Hall of Fame game, it has a huge impact on the city of Canton. But, you know, in the grander scheme of things, it's something that the NFL feels like they can live without for, you know, for the time being, not necessarily forever, but just for this year. Um, But from what I'm seeing from colleges, it's getting more and more nerve wracking because I feel like college football programs are going to be a better indicator of what the NFL is or is not able to do than say major league soccer or baseball or hockey or any of the other major league sports that are starting up. Because if you look at college football, Clemson had what 11 guys on the team or more uh, test positive. So it was like 23. Yeah. Yeah. It was some insane number. So you've got college campuses that are allowing athletes back on campus and allowing them to work together. And Clemson has an absurd number of positive cases. Uh, University of Kansas just shut down their voluntary practices this week. Like yesterday, I think they shut it down because 12 players tested positive. I think there were 16 people total on campus that tested positive. 12 of them were football players. And I think that's what's the most telling is that when you have these college campuses coming back, these students coming back to campus and starting to practice together, you're seeing the virus spread so much faster among college kids, or at least college football players, than you are any other player. Like the only other team that really has had that kind of widespread uh, outbreak is FC Dallas. Because as of right now, like I said, the Indians, only one player has tested positive. Right now he's in Arizona. He can't come back to Cleveland until he has two consecutive negative tests. So Delino DeShields is in Arizona uh, you know, until further notice, we don't know when he's coming back. He's a fringe player. That's okay. But when you look at Clemson, you know, 26 guys, that's, that could potentially be your entire secondary and then some. So I think that is a bigger indication for the NFL because it's the same sport. And I think that if I were an NFL executive, I would be looking at college football And getting very, very nervous because if these kids can't even practice together just themselves, you know, it's there aren't any other students back on campus. It is just athletes right now. So if you have just these kids back on campus and these outbreaks are this uncontrollable, I'd be really nervous if I was an NFL executive because that's probably going to happen the minute these guys start reporting for training camp. Meredith, when I look at where the NFL and college football stand in comparison to the other sports. Like you said, they have to get worried, but they do have some time. 
they almost have to look at what happens with Major League Baseball and the NBA, more so with baseball because the NFL can't do a bubble. There are just too many people in order to have some sort of bubble plan, and teams need to be able to market their product, which is a lot easier to do when you're in your home stadiums. I know that the Chicago Bears have already started issuing season ticket refunds for their season ticket holders who don't want to buy in to this 2020 season. So what do you think the NFL will end up learning from Major League Baseball and the NBA and the MLS? I don't think there's going to be much to be learned from the NHL because there are no football teams in Canada. What do you think is going to end up happening that they can look? Well, yeah, I I forgot about, I forgot about the CFL. Yeah. Come on. My beloved Saskatchewan Rough Riders, I can't believe you would disrespect them like that. I like uh, I'm a Winnipeg I'm a Winnipeg uh, Blue Bombers fan myself, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Um, am I allowed to cuss on this podcast? Oh, absolutely. Uh, the NFL is going to learn they're fucked. Yeah, I think that you're probably right, but you know, it, it seems like. Whatever the situation has been over the years that the NFL just is going to press on that. And I hate to say this. I heard this analogy used by a local host here in the Bay Area. But if given the choice between flying a plane of children into the side of a mountain and delaying or canceling a season, the NFL, I, I'm I'm sorry, babies, you're, you're going into the side of the mountain. I know that seems terrible, but. Just the, you know, perception is reality in a lot of situations. And I feel like the NFL through thick and thin has just decided to press on, like even during free agency, like when every other sport is shutting down, the NFL is just saying, well, we're going to do free agency anyway, even if the optics aren't good. Yeah. And I think it was almost a little bit of relief when they had free agency period and the draft as well, because it gave us a little bit of sports to talk about when there were no sports happening and, the transactions in both the draft and free agency were able to happen virtually. So I think that's kind of where the NFL is. I think they've gotten very, very lucky that up until now, aside from OTAs and rookie minicamp, everything that they need to do has been done virtually and they figured out a way to do it virtually. Um, I think if we were ever to rename this country, it wouldn't be the United States of America. It would be the United States of American football because, yeah, I mean, it. the NFL, I believe, thinks it's infallible. I think that the NFL thinks that it is untouchable. Uh, the NFL is Rudy Gobert two days before he tested positive for coronavirus. You know, it's it's they just don't think that anything is going to touch them. They don't think anything is going to ruin them. And I've worked in a few cities. Um, you know, I used to work in sports radio in, in Nashville and the Titans suck. Like at the time they did, the Titans were, God, they were three and 13, I believe that year. And the Predators were in the Western Conference final for the Stanley Cup. And the Titans were still more popular than the Predators were. So you've got this exciting winning hockey team that is just, by the way, if when and if sports start back up again, even if you're not a hockey fan, going to a Predators game is is an experience and it is fun. And so when you have that happening and the Titans are still more popular, I think that's a huge indication 
that the NFL is king in the in this country. That is the biggest industry. That is the most popular industry. Even people who don't pay attention to sports can pick out a name like Tom Brady or Baker Mayfield. You know, like those big names. They know those big names, even if they don't pay attention to football for a single second. Like, you know, I, I've got family all over the place. I've got family in Cleveland who don't pay attention to football. And before Odell Beckham Jr. got traded, they still knew who Odell Beckham Jr. was. Yeah, I think that the NFL just has a larger footprint. And that's a great segue into my next question. You and I, for as long as you and I have known each other, and it's amazing how good of friends we've become without actually ever having met each other in person. Spoiler alert, that's what the world of media will do to you. You can become good friends with somebody. Without ever actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah, internet best friends. Um, the NFL and the NBA have a larger footprint. And I always kind of fought with you over the fact that baseball should be more popular than it is. And I don't feel that way anymore because baseball and granted, you can blame Rob Manfred for this and I'm going to partially blame him, but baseball is third in line behind the NFL and the NBA. And it's because baseball is a sport that has more of a niche audience, but baseball also has not done a good job of marketing its product to the more common fan instead of the purist like myself. Given what has happened with the labor strife and the fact that 42 minor league teams are probably going to go away and the fact that now because of how angry the players union is at the owners, you could potentially have a strike in 2022. How doomed is baseball in the grand scheme of the American sports life? Honestly, I think at this point, I think they they just need to burn it all down and like a phoenix rise from the ashes. Like, I'm not saying that baseball needs to go away. I just saying Major League Baseball, as it stands right now, should probably just be canceled. Uh, Owners need to give up their teams. Rob Manfred needs to be dusted like it's, you know, Infinity War. And we just need to start all over again. New league, new commissioner, probably keep the same teams, but... You know, I think at this point, it almost feels like baseball isn't fixable. And I think a lot of times they concentrate on the wrong things, especially when they when they try to do all these rule changes, like they want to make the game shorter. And I was actually arguing with my dad about this when we were talking recently, because he he will complain about the length of baseball games, even though my dad loves baseball, he will have baseball on constantly during the summertime. He'll listen to it on the radio while he does, you know, yard work, whatever he's, he's a dad. That's what he does. He still loves baseball, but he will complain about the length of it. And I was like, well, if you, if you think about it, the amount of time on a Sunday that you invest watching an NFL game is roughly the same amount of time that you would invest, say on a Tuesday evening, watching a baseball game. If a baseball game has a 7 PM pitch, you're going to finish that game sometime between 10 and 10.30. If you're watching a 1 o'clock NFL game, that that game is going to finish sometime between 4 and 4.30. It is the same amount of hours out of your day to watch a baseball game that it is to watch an NFL game. So I don't think the length of the game is the problem. And I think that's what baseball keeps getting hung up on, is that they want to have pitch clocks. They want to put a runner on second in the 10th inning. You know, it's just like none of this stuff is, is going to fix baseball at all. I, I, at this point, I don't know if 
the MLB as it stands is fixable. Uh, there's no trust between the owners and the players. I would not be surprised if if things lock out after the collective bargaining agreement is up. I'm I'm actually shocked that they came through with even a 60 game season now. And Rob Manfred keeps putting his foot in his mouth. Like he came out and said earlier this week, well, there was never going to be more than 60 games, which is more fire for the players to file a grievance because the owners were supposed to be, or they were required to be negotiating in good faith. And if they're saying that they were only planning on 60 games from the get-go, that means they were never negotiating in good faith. And then Rob Manfred came out and admitted that as much. And then two days later tries to backtrack. Like, I mean, the guy just, uh, he, he needs to be on speaking probation. Like when my brother and I were little, if I got annoying, if I talked too much, which I might be doing right now, but if I was, you know, yabber jawing too much as a kid, my older brother would put me on speaking probation and like an idiot, I listened to him. But that's what Rob Manfred needs right now. Like that, that man needs speaking probation because he is just, if the NF, if the MLB wasn't going to lock out before, I think now that he's admitted that he never planned on having more than 60 games in the first place, like it's definitely going to lock out now. It's pretty clear that Rob Manfred doesn't like baseball from all the people that I've talked to. He doesn't like baseball. Like the MLB owners don't like baseball. Like that's another problem. And that was something that I tweeted about ages ago that I can't even fathom wanting to buy a major league baseball team having hating baseball that much. I am not convinced that there is a single owner of a baseball team that actually likes baseball. Like you can look at Dan Snyder and he is probably one of the worst owners in existence, but you cannot deny the fact that he is a football fan and you cannot deny the fact that he is a lifelong Washington professional football team fan. You know, I'm not going to use the name, but he has loved Washington's football team his entire life. Owning that team was a fantasy of his that he made reality. Like, as say what you want about Dan Snyder. He loves football and he loves his team. You cannot say that about any of the owners in Major League Baseball. And I just don't understand what compels a person. I'm going to get on a rant on this because this is something that infuriates me. Fire it up. Let's go. Fire it up. I just cannot fathom wanting to buy a baseball team when you don't love the game of baseball. You know, like, and that's the thing is that that's how you build trust with your players is that if you truly care about the product, you care about the league and you care about your employees, but no, the baseball players just, I mean, the baseball owners just want to make money. And for the players, it was a little bit about money. Yes. But, and this is what I was saying about the negotiations for the 2020 season in the first place. I don't think it was as much about the money for the players as it as people made it seem i think that that was a smear campaign by rob manfred and the nfl own, or excuse me the mlb owners uh was to make the players look like they were money hungry because that's a very bad look in 2020 especially when unemployment rates are so high and even people who still have their jobs may have gotten their hours cut they may have gotten their salary cut like one of my jobs my benefits got cut that's that's the landscape and then to have People arguing over millions of dollars versus billions of dollars is a bad look. I don't think it was as much about the money for the players as everyone made it seem. I think it was more about winning because the players know that their collective bargaining agreement is coming to an end. And if they give in now, 
that's going to make their negotiations with the new CBA that much more difficult. So that's one of the things that just made me so mad is that people were mad at the players and putting this all on them, calling them money hungry, calling them greedy. Oh, it's millions of dollars. You've got generational wealth. Yeah, they do. But they're trying to look out for themselves as employees. If they had given into the owner's demands now, it would have been that much worse for them down the road. And it all stems from the fact that MLB owners hate baseball. And I don't know why. And I just, if I had billions of dollars, I would buy a baseball team and I would make it beautiful because I love baseball and I know you love baseball and I know you would do the same thing. Like if you had billions of dollars, I know you, that would be the first thing you did if you won, you know, the billion dollar lottery is you'd buy a baseball team. Because well, the thing that bothers me right. is that these owners see this as a line item and not as a way to grow the game of baseball. Like when you have Bill DeWitt of the St. Louis Cardinals, and I'm sure that on one of your shows you played that bit from Bill DeWitt about baseball not being profitable. The St. Louis Cardinals are worth over $2 billion, and Bill DeWitt bought them in 1995 for $150 million. So Bill DeWitt has made over a $1.5 billion profit in valuation on his investment from 25 years ago. So you cannot argue to me that baseball is not profitable. It's just the owners trying to make sure that they reap every penny possible. And it's like you said, they don't love baseball. They see baseball as an industry to make money because with the exception of this year, baseball keeps getting more money and more money and more money because the TV deals continue to get richer and people are buying merchandise and baseball has 162 games. You've got 81 home games and you've got revenue sharing. So through all of this, baseball owners continue to make money and they can't accept the fact that that in a year where the game needs to be grown immensely for the sake of people's sanity during maybe the worst year economically since the Great Depression, you can't just stomach it and agree. And that's the other big problem, is that you had an agreement, signed, sealed, delivered, March 26th, and you can't keep to that? You're trying to weasel out of that? I'm sorry. Where I come from, and I'm sure where you come from, when you mm-hmm. sign on the dotted line, that deal is final. Yeah, and it's funny that you talk about baseball teams being profitable. Imagine how profitable they would be if the sport could actually market itself. Yeah, well, they've clearly I mean, failed at that. I mean, that's the part that I find so funny. And when you talk, and I've got to get this off my chest too. When people talk about marketing baseball and marketing baseball players, we have got to stop bringing up Mike Trout. Yes, he is the best player in baseball. Yes, he is a future Hall of Famer. He is prolific. He is a generational talent. He himself does not care to be in the spotlight. He just wants to show up, hit a bunch of dingers, and go home. If you're going to market players, you need to look at the ones that don't mind being in the spotlight and the ones that don't mind having their personalities highlighted. The Bryce Harpers, the Trevor Bowers, the Francisco Lindors, you know, the the Aaron Judges, the the players that not only have a sparkling personality, but want to display said sparkling personality. And that's not Mike Trout. So if I hear one more damn time, 
oh, well, let's look at Mike Trout. They're not marketing Mike Trout. Because Mike Trout doesn't want to be marketed, you guys. And that's okay. There are a lot of guys in the game of baseball. There are a lot of great personalities that you can sell shoe deals to, clothing deals to. You can you can market them as the face of your sport. It doesn't have to be Mike Trout. We're here with Meredith Kane of 92.3 The Fan in Cleveland, kind enough to join us here on MLB Morning Coffee. And as we wrap up, one of the things about 2020 that has been a positive is the amount of civil uprising against systemic racism in this country. And I have protested. I think that this country is seeing a sea of change for the better. And in the sports world, you being from D.C. and working in Cleveland, a couple of significant things have happened over the last few days. The Washington NFL team, because I refuse to call them by their name as well, is saying that they are willing to change the name, which has been a longstanding issue. And the Indians have now followed up and said that they are potentially looking into whether or not to change their name. We already know that Chief Wahoo, the logo, is gone. But I ask you, as a D.C. native and somebody that is a Cleveland resident, does one or both or neither of these happen? Uh, You know what? If you had asked me Friday around noon, so this was after the Redskins said that they were reviewing, but before the Indians announced that they were. I and I tweeted this also to me, the the announcement from Washington felt like more of a stalling tactic, like they recognized that there is a civil uprising in the country and there is a huge movement towards equality and justice. And this has been I mean, I worked in D.C. radio God, back in I started there in 2010. And even back in 2010, the name change was a hot topic on on the radio. That was something that a lot of people were fighting for. A lot of people were fighting against. So the Washington football team releases a statement that says, we're reviewing our name and we're going to consider a name change. And I looked at that and I said, that is a stalling tactic. That is Dan Snyder trying to get some nice PR and hoping that this blows over. Now around 7 PM on Friday night, the Cleveland Indians come out and say, you know what? We're going to do the same thing. And I think that that is the push. Uh, I think if there was not another team that had come out and said, you know what? We recognize we ha- that we have a problematic name and we're going to look at changing it too. I think that because the Indians have come out and said that, and I think they probably will, um, you know, they already did get rid of Chief Wahoo, and I think that is an indication that they are willing to change the name as well. I think it would be very embarrassing for Washington if the Indians change their name before the Washington team does. So I think if the Indians had not come out late Friday saying that they were doing the same thing, I would have said it's not happening. I believe it when I see it. But now that the Indians are saying, oh, you know what, we're going to do it too. I think that now Dan Snyder is in a bind where – if Cleveland does change the name of its major league baseball team, he has to like, he can't sit here. Cause here's the thing. And this was one of the, the interesting things about the Cleveland Indians is that out of context by itself, 
the word Indian is not a racial slur. It refers to people from the country of India. It is not a racial slur at all. However, when you put it in context with Chief Wahoo, with the associations with Christopher Columbus, the fact that it was named for a Native American player in the in Major League Baseball, then it is a problematic name. Whereas Washington's football team name has always been a racial slur. It has never not been a racial slur. So if you have a team like the Indians that has a name that's not necessarily a racial slur, however, is problematic, they change it. And the team that does have a racial slur as its name does not change it. That is the worst PR that you could possibly have. So I think uh, as long as other teams, even if it's just the Indians, as long as there is another team that is moving forward and actually goes through with it, Dan Snyder is in a bind. And I think both of them happen. So it's either going to be neither of them or both of them. And I'm leaning towards both of them because I think the PR at this point of two teams putting out press releases that say we're, we are considering changing our name and then they don't, that's bad optics. Final question here for Meredith Kane on MLB morning coffee. What has this entire year done to change your perspective on what sports means to your livelihood? I mean, I don't know if my perspective has actually changed because I always knew as long as I'm in this industry, I am dependent on sports for a paycheck. Uh, So I don't know that it has changed my perspective. Um, I do think that... In kind of a twisted way, it's probably a good thing that we didn't have sports for a while because a lot of the civil unrest that's happening in the country, a lot of these pushes towards uh, police reform and uh, all types of reform in the country, I don't think this any of this would have happened if we still had sports. And I think that's one of the reasons why it hasn't happened. Like we're all sitting at home. We've got nothing to do. Bars are closed. Public parks are closed. Like anything that you can go out and do is closed and then you don't have sports as a distraction. And then all of the sudden videos of police violence are surfacing more and more and more and more. And without anything to distract us, that's where our concentration has gone. So in a sick way, it's probably good that we didn't have sports because I think that the change in this country is long overdue. Um, And I, and I'm glad that we are moving towards equality in the country, but at the same time, I miss sports and I, I miss not, I, I miss not stressing about my bills every month, you know, but you know, I'm just one person. And quite frankly, if I have to struggle for a few months to bring social justice, then, you know, bring it on. I, you know, I, I'll be okay. I'll survive. I'm, you know, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to, uh, unless I get coronavirus, I'm not going to die. That, yeah, was a well, really, that was really dark humor. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, let's not hope that that happens. But I no. think that the state of Ohio has done a pretty good job with COVID. And you have done a really good job on this show. And they can follow you at MK on Sports. You can listen to her on 92.3 The Fan on the Baskin and Phelps show from 10 a.m. Eastern to 2 p.m. Eastern. I am usually up at about 7 a.m. Pacific time. So that's right when that show starts. I've had a chance to listen in a couple of days, but to be quite honest with you, MK, I, uh, I haven't listened all the way through, uh, totally but you fine. can, you can catch her on the, that's what B said podcast with her co-hosts, Bree and Brittany. They do a fantastic job and 
Meredith, thanks again for joining us today. Well, thank you so much for having me, Greg. This was a lot of fun. Meredith Kane, everybody. Thanks for listening to this edition of MLB Morning Coffee, an MLB podcast from the Ocean Avenue Studios in San Francisco, California. Have a great rest of your day, everybody. And as always, we will catch you in the AM.